six killed in a stabbing at a Chinese kindergarten. What's behind the country's recent series of attacks? Also on the schoolyard, war training boot camps finding their way into Chinese kindergartens this summer. Hitting Beijing where it hurts, Ron DeSantis vowing to end the country's most favored nation status if he gets elected. China's leader meeting with a Russian lawmaker, while President Biden is on his way to the NATO summit. Where does the world's most powerful military alliance stand on Taiwan? Raised eyebrows over Treasury Secretary Yellen's visit to China, where she bowed multiple times to the country's vice premier. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. A tragedy in a Chinese kindergarten. A man killed six people and injured one other. Victims of the stabbing include three children. The incident happened in China's southern Guangdong province. Authorities arrested a 25-year-old suspect, but police did not give details on motive. Violent attacks have been on the rise nationwide in recent years. Last year, a man killed three and injured six at a kindergarten in Jiangxi province. In 2021, another attacker stabbed two children to death in southern China. A man in Anhui also lethally stabbed six people. Experts say attackers are usually people with deep grievances that are looking for revenge. Triggers reportedly vary from unemployment to bad economic conditions or mental issues. But a Chinese political scholar told the BBC that this phenomenon reflects underlying anxiety and frustration in Chinese society. And because people can't hold rallies or protests to vent their frustrations, they turn to violent attacks. For a lot of people in China, anxiety runs deep. Many industries, especially tech, require employees to work from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. six days a week. And it's not just the adults. Some parents pack their children's schedules with after-school tutoring classes, aiming for better test scores to stand out in school. An expert said because of this long-term pent-up of anxiety, it's easier for some people to go to extremes when they face hardship in life. Learning how to handle firearms is apparently the key to a well-rounded childhood, at least in the eyes of the Chinese Communist Party. According to a report by the Daily Caller News Foundation, this summer, kindergartens across China are hosting boot camps to train children with military weapons. From how to handle weapons to how to fight like soldiers, the camps offer combat training for boys and girls with different toy weapons, such as knives, grenades, rifles, and shoulder-fired missiles. They're also taught military behavior, like saluting. The boot camps are happening in major cities from Beijing to Nanjing and Shenzhen. They're also run in more than half a dozen Chinese provinces, including Anhui, Fujian and Guangdong. Uniformed Chinese soldiers oversaw the programs. The campaign follows the CCP's push for increased national defense education in 2019 with a focus on China's youth. Beijing also directed schools to feature defense-related activities in 2022. Experts say the growing push to militarize China's youth may be about more than boosting so-called patriotism in the next generation. Instead, it could aim to prepare future soldiers for Beijing's inevitable war plans. As President Biden kicks off his tour of Europe, Chinese leader Xi Jinping is meeting with a Russian lawmaker. We can count on a firm, reliable and friendly shoulder in China. On Monday, she said Russia will continue to cooperate with Beijing. 
On the other hand, China canceled on the European Union last week. Its foreign policy chief was scheduled to visit Beijing this week. Back to Biden's Europe tour, he met with the UK's Prime Minister on Monday. Our relationship is rock solid. The two talked about providing Ukraine with support to win the war against Russia. Next up on Biden's agenda is Tuesday's NATO summit, a meeting of the world's most powerful military alliance. Ukraine is slated to be a big part of the discussion. In an op-ed published on Monday, NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg wrote that China is watching Russia's war on Ukraine closely. He also mentioned the leaders of Japan and South Korea shared a concern with him that what's happening in Europe today could happen in Asia tomorrow, meaning a potential Chinese invasion of Taiwan. But Stoltenberg said NATO does not see China as an adversary. A NATO official also said the alliance is not involved in Taiwan, adding that it's not part of NATO's responsibility. Stoltenberg noted NATO must engage with China on issues like climate and nuclear proliferation and that China should use its influence on Russia to end its war in Ukraine. Likewise, Hungary's foreign minister said cooperation with China presents opportunities rather than risks. NATO members remain divided on how to approach China. Hating China where it hurts? That's the suggestion from presidential hopeful Ron DeSantis. The Florida governor vows to end China's most favored nation status if he becomes president. DeSantis said on Fox News Sunday, I would take executive action as appropriate to be able to move us in that direction. Back in 2000, the Senate voted to grant China most favored nation status. That designation comes with major trade benefits, like low tariffs and high import quotas. Any step to remove it would need congressional approval. Earlier this year, four senators also called to revoke China's status. Leading that charge is Senator Tom Cotton, who said, For 20 years, communist China has held permanent most favored nation status, which has supercharged the loss of American manufacturing jobs, adding it's time to protect American jobs and hold the Chinese Communist Party accountable. Granting China the trade status helped pave Beijing's way into the World Trade Organization. Many say that helped vault China onto the international stage and led to it becoming the world's second largest economy. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is back from her four-day trip to China. Yellen says she told Chinese officials the U.S. won't allow its national security to be compromised, even at the cost of economic interests. NDD's Jeremy Sandberg has more on Yellen's visit to Beijing. Yellen says talks in Beijing were direct and productive. Although the trip didn't result in any major breakthrough between the two countries, Yellen says she was able to press her Chinese counterparts about the regime's unfair economic practices. Fair treatment is critical so American firms and workers compete on a level playing field and benefit economically from trade and investment with China and the huge market it presents for American goods and services. I also expressed my worries about a recent uptick in coercive actions against American firms. The visit came just days after China retaliated in a tech war with the U.S. by announcing restrictions on exports of two strategic materials needed to make semiconductors, solar panels and electric vehicles. Yellen says she defended U.S. measures on trade that China claims is hampering its tech industries and assured officials that the U.S. is not looking to decouple from China. She called the idea disastrous for both countries, destabilizing for the world and virtually impossible to undertake.
We want a dynamic and healthy global economy that is open, free, and fair. The Treasury Secretary says the U.S. means to diversify critical supply chains and will continue to take necessary targeted actions to protect its national interests and those of its allies. I feel confident that we will have more frequent and regular communication. The Commission on the Theft of American Intellectual Property estimated in 2017 that the U.S. economy suffers an annual loss of up to $6 billion due to the Chinese regime's intellectual property theft each year. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Fury in America over an unusual gesture from the Treasury Secretary. Footage shows Yellen approaching her Chinese counterpart before a meeting in Beijing on Saturday. Next, she bowed three times while shaking hands with the Chinese official. The Chinese official, on the other hand, stood up straight. A former White House staffer told the New York Post that American officials should never bow. Adding Yellen's move was exactly the optics Beijing wants. Former State Department advisor Christian Witten also weighed in on Fox News. Secretary Yellen bowed at least three times to her Chinese counterpart today. It's completely bizarre. In a tweet, author Max Murray called bowing as an American official a protocol breach and pointed out Yellen's Chinese counterpart didn't reciprocate and even backed away to give her more space to kowtow. With heat waves enveloping the U.S., what's it like on the other side of the globe? Citizens in Beijing are living under heat alerts that have put outdoor work on hold. What's more, some train travelers in Shanghai got a surprise rain shower. But what might normally be a summer delight worried passengers instead. Here's what happened. In the nation's capital, temperatures above 95 degrees have baked the city for around 10 days. The duration was the longest on record over more than six decades. It's quite suffocating and painful. And when I walk outside under the sun, I feel that I'm a piece of meat being barbecued. At a scorching 104 degrees, Beijing issued a top warning for extreme temperatures. All outdoor work was called off, though some still held out trying to stay afloat amid a slumping economy and rising unemployment. But brutal heat can be deadly. In neighboring Hubei province, a 60-year-old man died of heat stroke with a body temperature exceeding 105 degrees. He reportedly refrained from using air conditioning just to save money. With lightning flashing outside, a light drizzle also began on an indoor platform. This video captured a leak at the Shanghai Hongqiao railway station. Passengers getting off the train started opening their umbrellas, while off to the side, rainwater was seen gushing out of a pipe. Comments online teased this scene as a free shower, insinuating the poor quality and corruption involved in state building projects. Hongqiao was branded one of China's largest high-speed rail hubs, built with a price tag of more than $2 billion. The leak came only about a decade after it opened. Do looks matter? One graduate in China said yes and found himself afoul of the law. Police detained a 25-year-old Tencent programmer in China that's for stealing university data of his fellow students, including their photo IDs, to create a website ranking their attractiveness. Surnamed Ma, he's a graduate of Zhenming University in Beijing, one of China's most prestigious universities. The platform includes students from the years 2014 to 2020. An online post suggests it's been running for around three years. 
It first came to light recently on the university's student discussion board. It soon ballooned into a trending topic with hundreds of millions of views on Weibo, a popular Chinese Twitter-like platform. The university announced the next day it's working with police and investigating the incident. Ma could face imprisonment of up to seven years. The incident has sparked renewed debate around private data, with some students calling on universities to do more. The largest ever penalty hits an internet company in China. Authorities last week announced a nearly $1 billion fine for Ant Group. But the latest billion-dollar fine has fueled investor hopes, suggesting Beijing has reached the end of its tech sector crackdown. Here's more. Hong Kong investors bet big on China's Alibaba Group and Tencent on Monday amid signs that Beijing's regulatory crackdown on the country's tech sector was finally winding down. It comes after news on Friday that Chinese authorities slapped a nearly billion-dollar fine against the Jack Ma-founded Ant Group for violating consumer protection and corporate governance laws. The penalty amounts to one of the largest ever fines for an internet company in China, but also marks the end to a years-long regulatory overhaul of the fintech company. That began in late 2020 and derailed Ant's IPO, at the time set to be the world's largest. The abrupt shelving of that listing marked the start of a wide-ranging clampdown by Beijing on industries from technology to education. Regulators were seeking to assert their authority over what they said were excesses and bad practices emerging from years of runaway growth. Aside from Ant, Chinese authorities also announced on Friday they had fined, among others, Tencent's online payment platform Tenpay nearly $450 million for violations in areas such as customer data management. China's central bank said on Friday that most of these platform companies' key problems had been rectified and that regulators would now shift from focusing on specific companies to the overall regulation of the industry. Another big story to look out for, China gearing up to promote something called scientific childbearing. But the campaign to resolve its population woes targets girls as young as 15. What's the latest in China's fight against demographic decline? That report and more coming up tomorrow on China in Focus. But today, here's what's coming up. Fresh off her trip to Beijing, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen's China visit ends with fresh backlash. Public fury sparked over her repeated bowing to China's vice premier in Beijing. At the same time, U.S. climate envoy John Kerry next on the list to visit China. Why is Washington boosting engagement with China? In what direction are U.S.-China relations heading in? We sat down with John Pelson for details. More on that after the break, here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. What's the biggest takeaway from Treasury Secretary Yellen's China trip? Washington has been hoping to redefine its economic relationship with China amid national security concerns. But Yellen says she's worried about the economic implications of decoupling. What will happen to U.S.-China relations? We speak to John Pelson for more. John Pelson, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be back on the show. Good to be here, Tiffany. 
To begin, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen just concluded her China trip. She had about 10 hours of talks over there. And there's also a video of her bowing repeatedly to the vice premier. So to begin, does the U.S. need China? Does China need us? Do we need each other? What do you make of all this? Well, I didn't see him bowing back to her. So maybe I missed that part, but there was very clear demonstration of power, an illustration, true or not, of power uh, imbalance here. Once again, exactly what the uh, stage setters in China are aiming for here. You can put Tony Blinken in a small seat down below the emperor, scribbling notes furiously as if he's taking lessons from uh, Chairman Xi. And now you've got Janet Yellen, who is doing something that American leaders are not supposed to do, which is to bow to other foreign nations, uh, diplomats, forget even the leaders. That was unfortunate, whether it was a script by protocol department who didn't tell her not to do something like that, or whether it was uh, a decision, or whether she was just doing her own thing, who knows. But it was not a good look. And once again, that image will be all over Asia to reinforce the message that China is the new power. And on that point, you did mention Antony Blinken, the Secretary of State, who also visited China recently. And it seems the climate envoy, John Kerry, is expected to visit China soon. So there's a lot of movement on the U.S. side. We're not really seeing anything out of China. How should we read this? Well, they're not going to move at all if they don't have to. Uh, and we seem to have at least some of the people in the administration don't realize that this is not a negotiation. This is a power play. Uh, this is not business where you're trying to get to a price. This is this is war by other means, and we are playing a totally different game. I never like the analogy people say, we're playing checkers, they're playing chess. That misses the point. That assumes we're all playing a board game, and they're just doing it at a more sophisticated level. We think we're playing a board game, and they're engaged in warfare by other means. That's what's really going on here, Tiffany. It seems on that note, some are saying, you know, that led China to join the World Trade Organization or really help pave the road. And you have people like Clyde Prestowitz, an economist, saying that doing business with China is like a 10-lane highway. So if one country backs out, China still has nine lanes. So it's really hard to do that. What do you make of the economic stance right now, especially the world in China? The, the fact is, if you're a business, th this is, remember, this is not about trade and, and uh, currency. This is business. That's where China sees the battlefield. If you're a company and you've got your suppliers lined up and someone says, we've just pulled your biggest supplier, can't use them anymore. Well, people that don't understand business say, well, they'll just use a different supplier. That's not a problem. But there's a reason they had that supplier. They were cheaper. They were better. They were faster. And when you start going down the road and saying you can't do all these things, the fact that China can turn to the next best, in business, that's death. If you can't, if, if Apple can't source its screens from Corning Gorilla Glass or whoever, well, they can use a different screen. Well, but it's not as good. And they've decided that's going to make us a less competitive product. If you go down the road and say your battery, your case, your screen, your chargers, everything's going to come from your second or third choice. Yes, you can keep making phones but you're not gonna be the competitive leader that you were. And that applies to China. If they have to make their own chips, people say, well, they'll just make their own. Yeah, but they would have been making their own if there was a viable business model around that. Now they have to do it, but it's gonna crush them economically. It's gonna be very damaging for China. And John, given all these developments, say with this new expanded law or Janet Yellen's trip and all these other ones, where do you see US-China relations going from here? Uh, 
I don't see him hitting anywhere good in in the future, in the near future. Uh, Chairman Xi knows exactly what he wants. He's wor working towards it. He's working towards it with pace. Uh, forget thousand-year marathons. Uh, his timeline is his uh, his opportunity to personally drive change for China. This is no longer the Politburo. This is no longer the Chinese government doing the long game and the long plan. This is Xi thinking, how do I make my mark and leave my legacy? Which means he's looking at five or 10 years where things have to happen. And during that period, it's not going to get any better. He has no reason to, to soften or change his approach. You know exactly what he stands for, and he's pushing for it. That's a bad sign. John Pelson, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Tiffany. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.